Johnny Silvercloud, the vicious abolitionist, also known as Frederick Douglass. Uh, my, those names are so funny. And uh, here I have the badass bookworm, Steve James. And here we're going to talk about Star Trek and fears of diversity. Take this in, run, like, run us by what's going on, uh, Steve. All right. So they released the new Star Trek, um, Star Trek Discovery trailer last week. And what I can only assume is a very, very small segment of the population that's given a voice by social media. Um, there was some level of outcry from the white supremacist or the, the male white supremacist group over the fact that there weren't white males in charge of everything in the Star Trek Discovery trailer, which caused a lot of stir because of the foundations of Star Trek and these people completely missing the point of what Star Trek is. Yeah, that is, yeah. Um, I find this really shocking, you know, that, well, actually, I, I, it's not a shock, but it just keeps on happening. How come there, how come, you know, these white supremacist, white supremacist types have an issue of diversity in a movie, in a fictional movie at that, like, what's their problem? A couple of years ago, there was the same exact issue with uh, The Force Awakens when they have uh, John Boyega starring as he was looking like the star possible Jedi character in the movie and all the promotional uh, motion material of uh, Force Awakens. So everybody's pretty excited, like, oh, wow, a black Jedi, a young black Jedi, which is completely different because, of course, Older male black actors can always get jobs. You know, Denzel Washington, Morgan Freeman, uh, Will Smith, he's 40 something years old now. You know, um, Don Cheadle, everybody, every, you know, older black actors are, you know, they're known as great actors through time, but all their time spent in experience. But a young black actor, we don't see too many of these guys pop up. You have Michael B. Jordan off of Creed. You have John Boyega out of uh, the UK. You have that one dude, I guess, I suppose, who played off of Get Out, who was also in the UK. But other than that, I don't know who's making moves and stuff like that. It's pretty, I don't know what to say, man. Is it just keeping, like, why are folks upset about diversity? So, there's diversity and then there's diversity in film, right? And so I think we've got to try to, as difficult as it may be, throw ourselves into the mind of these people that, that take issue with it. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if that's possible, but so- you have minds at all? Right, yeah. Just blindly following talking points. But they, they have this ideology which which is generally white supremacist in white supremacist in nature even if they're not openly white supremacist it could be that that um unconscious racial bias that's driving a lot of it but let's take a more 
well, what is at least in present day considered a more extreme position. And if you cast an openly transgender character in the role of something or an openly gay character in the role of something, uh, what these people that have these very traditionalist ideologies view that, I think, as that some external cultural group is trying to force their culture onto these people that want to be discriminatory and racist. I'm, they say, I'm quite happy being discriminatory and racist towards um, women and non-white people and transgender and gay people on a daily basis. Why are you trying to change my viewpoint by shoving this, this biased entertainment down my throat with your diversity? But I think that's the, the main a lot of times when these white supremacists talk, you know, they'd they be like, you know, but, you know, I'm tired of all these the hyphenated Americans, blah, 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 because we're all Americans. The end. How come they don't follow that same logic in regards to representation of, I suppose, Americans who were once hyphened, but maybe you're trying to give up that hyphen and be represented equally in media? Well, now that comes into the delusion, I think, that comes along with this, and it ties back into the thing that we always talk about, which is that white defaultness that you bring up, right? Yeah. Um, those people that say they don't believe in a hyphenated America, Chinese-American, uh, uh, African-American, wh whatever, whatever the type of American is, is they say we're all just American, but they're leaving off the prefix there. When they say we're all just American, they're dropping a prefix that is there. And that's, we're all just white American. And they're dropping that prefix off because they take it as assumed that it is the white American. You drop it off like you do in math. You don't write one times something, right? The one is implicitly there. And it's in the white is implicitly there for, for these people as well, but they don't realize that it's there at all. Right. And so when they see diversity on screen, then that, that lack of awareness that they are hyphenating the, the white America when they say America comes into play. Because as soon as they see a non-white or, or non-male character in charge of something or in a prominent role, then it becomes an issue because their default is that anyone in a lead role ought to be white. And if they're not, then you're trying to hyphenate America. When if you just have a white person, you're not hyphenating at all because it's implicitly just American. Yeah, that white default is. Yeah, it seems like there's just this assumption that that everything that everything is centered on whiteness. Like like to be white is to be the center of the universe, as if everything's white and then things start from there, like paper or something. You get a white sheet of paper and you have to do something to it for it to be a person of color, you know? Mm -hmm. It's really baffling how that works. Well, you I, know, it's, it's, and it's not always, it's not always a white supremacist that's, that's, that has the attitude or even is indoctrinating that attitude. Uh, I was listening to an NPR uh, discussion about um, black graduations at, what university was it, Harvard? I think it was. Um, and having not not replacing the main graduation, but having an additional graduation to acknowledge and celebrate the unique experiences of African Americans in their 
college journey. And there was a caller that came in who sounded like a generally well-meaning white woman that says, I've tried to raise my kids to be as colorblind as possible and not see any racial difference. And she really sounded like that she really believed she was doing her children a service by teaching them that, that, that we're all just Americans and there is no hyphenated America, which is what that statement means. When you say that you're teaching people to be colorblind, you're saying, I'm teaching my children that, that the default is the white default when you yeah. say that. But I don't think she realizes that at all. She doesn't understand that that's what she's doing. Yeah, I was teaching um... – you know, I, you know, I deal with a lot of adult learners, uh, young adult learners, you know, what I do out here. And um, I was teaching some folks and uh, one guy mentioned one, one, he was a white, young white dude, young white male. He uh, mentioned um, when he like, he, he grew up, he was raised to not see color. And I pointed out that technically that's actually more racist and I nearly got in trouble so they call it like the uh, equal opportunity guy to talk to me and stuff like that. It's like Johnny Silvercloud, you know, tomorrow morning you need to talk to Sosa. I'm like, Fool. I'm like, okay. I'm sitting there thinking like, I'm Johnny Silvercloud, bitch. Let bring it. I don't care. Like, yeah, you got like your systemic, your your weak institutional um, education on equal equal opportunity, equal rights. Then you have Johnny fucking silver cloud the vicious abolitionist extraordinaire you know so bring it you know so i talked to the guy he understood what i was saying and um overall his point was it's kind of like high school to college or something like that it's like you know they're they're not at that level yet so we can't just expose folks to that so so fast i'm like yeah whatever but it was really frustrating that I can't t- I can't speak the truth on things to actually to state you're colorblind or force or to tr- to reinforce colorblindness so to speak it's flawed logic at hand and what it what it really says is there is something wrong with being black thus I, I need to erase blackness from you in order to in order to accept you as an equal I have to remove an aspect of you in order to Secretary as an equal. Imagine if, if you know, I'm, I'm five foot eleven, and you know, Steve is shorter than me. What was, what's your height, Steve? Five six. Five six. All right. So imagine, you know, me standing at five eleven. I'm like, um, I don't see height. I don't see height difference. So, so let's go play basketball. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, high five, and it's like, I'm like super high in the air like this. It just, it makes no sense to engage in any level of blindness. Imagine if gender blindness exists or sex blindness. You know, I don't see, I don't see woman. How would would a woman feel? Like what (laughs) sense would that make? You know, I mean, how? Yeah, Yeah. well, this is what I told you before. When you say you're blind to some obvious trait, it's not the trait that you're pretending you're blind to. It's the fact that this person or this group of people have had a uniquely different experience in their life than you have. And you don't want to hear it. And yeah, well, yeah, you're you're denying that their experience can be any different than your own. And so when you're a man and you say, look, I don't see gender, you're saying a woman's experience in life is identical to my own. So I don't know what she's complaining about. When you're a white when you're a white person and you and you see a black person, you say, I don't see color, you're saying your experience in America must be exactly the same as mine. So I don't know what you're complaining about. 
Exactly. And, it's, and it's inherently flawed. That's why um, when I'm talking to a white woman about colorblindness, it usually I make it click super fast because of the analogy of of womanhood, uh, femininity. Uh, I might have messed that. Put the N and M somewhere. Anyway, feminine. Uh, then fin, femininity. femininity. There we go. <laughs> that you know, sex. You know, like. Like say for example, um, a while back ago, with my you know friends, uh, Rachel Rivera, she pointed out she wrote an article on um, her experiences getting dick pics, unsolicited dick pics from random ass men. Now, when she threw this article out, she wrote on HowForSafeYourFellow.com. When she like threw this article out, I was I was blown away. I was horrified. <laughs> to me, sending unsolicited unsolicited dick pics is like a form of psychological it's almost like a, a it's like a, a soft version of rape you know um you you're it's you're you know dick pics out of no uh, i can't fathom the life of a woman in this day and age with social media and the, our technology where they get random ass dick pics from from like hundreds even from you know in their in their life and they haven't even like passed past 30 40 years old yet so yeah, I cannot. I, I I can't imagine living a life where I deny. I you know I act as if a woman's experience in life in America is the exact same as a man's. I can't fathom that. So I I think uh, with women it's really easy to to uh, find an avenue of an approach where they get it white women but white men it's they have to be a research psychologist like you or something like that because yeah <laughs> they have to be a scientist of some sort yeah but understands I mean, logic and reasoning yeah but I, th I think you hit the nail on the head right there when you said i can't imagine right you're yeah. right i can't imagine either i can't imagine what it's like to have to go through that experience as a woman i can't imagine i cannot imagine what it's like to have to to have to live the african-american experience you know especially out there on the mainland where you guys are right that's not something that i have an experience nor can i understand it but where diversity plays a role and this is why diversity is so critical is that by exposing yourself to diversity maybe i can't imagine maybe i can't totally understand or really understand much at all but i can empathize and i can understand that that different experience exists and i cannot know that that different experience exists if i do not expose myself to diversity which is what's the problem with homogenous societies oh i totally agree i'm glad you mentioned that that was a whole lot better than how i would say it um when it comes to empathy um I, I made this one podcast. I, I should run that one. Run, I need to give you the link to that one. It's one pod is like a solo one where I was talking about um, the concept of white guilt and how it's something that usually um, conservative minded white folks keep on bringing up. And there's no real parallel to it. Like there's there's no black guilt or Asian guilt or, or like latin american guilt indigenous guilt there's white guilt though and it's approached as if it's something to duck and dodge you know white folks need to not have and uh, at first when i'm when it's mentioned i'm like i don't know what to do i mean i'm not white so i don't know like you have to find a way through it somehow now i'm realizing when these conservative types these uh, Trump, Trump, like these uh, cult 45, cult 
45 types and conservative alt, you know, um, alt right types and neo Nazi. Nothing's new about them, just Nazi types, Confederates. Um, when they say these things, they're actually stating that they're actually engaging with this concept, what is what I call selective apathy or selective sociopathy. So when they when they hear a black person's plight in America, a black person's experiences in America, they shut down their morality and have no empathy at all. And then when they say, I don't have white guilt, it's not guilt, it's 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 morality. It's 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 a human moral compass concerning someone's issues. So it's empathy. What are your thoughts on that? Like, am I kind of like in a ballpark there? I mean, you, you read up or you, you study things like this. I know, I mean, well, I do, but you're the yeah. doctor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't, I've never given too much attention to white guilt. Uh, it's never been a particularly interesting concept to me. I mean, maybe it's just a personal thing because I don't feel guilty. And I think that maybe exactly. that's, that's the thing is that, is that it's not really about guilt. Right. Because it's just about denial in a lot of ways and about taking things overly personally, about attaching your identity to the history of your own culture. Right. I do not. I am I am as pasty white as they come from from Bumble Tucky. Right. And I do not take offense to the fact that I have a white privilege. Or that, or that an African-American has a different experience than I do, or that a Muslim-American has a different experience than I do. It is not personal. It is not an attack on me. It is an attack on, on the societal systemic problem that pervades society, and I understand that difference. No one is attacking me, but you know what? If somebody is angry at me, I can understand why that they are because I am a symbol of the problem. But yet again, even if people are angry at me, I don't take it personally because I understand its roots. I understand the problem. So people that, that say that that's a white guilt thing, it's not about guilt at all. It's about extending your identity into the, or getting, taking offense and extending your identity in this thing that should never be personal to you in the first place. Me, each time someone says, I don't have white guilt. And I'm like, that's not white guilt. That's your conscious speaking. Yeah. That is your conscious speaking. What you're telling me is that you don't have a conscious. You refuse to function with a conscious when you're engaging with, with black people. That, like the truth of the matter from there, is quite frightening. Um, like uh, I have a guy and his name is a, a friend named Obadiah Freeman. And like, like a couple of years back in 2015, when For The Force Awakens came out, um, or the, you, know, you know, like a, the last space saga with diversity issues with white supremacists. Um, you know, he wrote something on Facebook and I added it to the article. He said, if a black lead fictional character in a Star Wars film is white genocide, you know, like what the fuck does that say about all the other movies? Whose genocide have you been following till now? Some people will show their hand. What's your thoughts on that, uh, on that statement there? <laughs> Just okay, let's, there. let's be clear. Anyone that's going to use the term white genocide in, in anything <laughs> but satire is, is not that, that well-meaning mother that I said from NPR that was trying to raise her kids in, in, a, in a 
somewhat diluted way. These are straight up white supremacists who are active and, and very vocal about it. No one else is going to use a term like that in any seriousness in any way. So um. <laughs> when you're talking about, you know, and total misunderstanding of the word genocide, by the way, in, in, as in terms of having a film, right? It's just absurd, but it does come back again to that same thing. Is they act, if they actually do see that as, as, as some sort of cultural genocide against white people, then again, they are applying that white defaultness again, because you're right. What does that mean to the previous, you know, 100 years of film where they only showed white people and they didn't show anyone else as a lead character? Isn't that cultural genocide against other groups? Yeah. Like, so, I talked to one of these white genocide, you know, uh, Americanized Nazi types before, and <laughs> they really, they, they, they're talking about actual genocide, man. They're not talking about cultural. They're talking about, they're talking about actual genocide as if white folks want to be totally wiped out and it'd be no white folks at all or something like that. Um, a while back ago, well, one of my first, my for the first article I've written a long time ago um, was an article called "The Four Fears," and it's the four fears white folks may have concerning race relations. One was the fear of you know of the mention of race. Another one was the fear of um, losing cultural artifacts or you know white defaultness. That's another fear. Um, another fear is uh, fear of amalg amalgamation which is like mixing of races. And then the last fear is fear of what, you know, thinking, pretty much feeling that, you know, once they become the fear of becoming the minority and because they believe that once they become the minority, everything they've done to others will be done to them. And that's really, that's particularly frightening because if they are cognizant of how they treat minorities now, then this is like a grand scale delusion. Like they're, they've been lying the whole time. Like, you know, like you fear this because you know, it's not, it's not the shit to be a minority in America. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, they have all four, uh, any, any white person talking that white genocide stuff, they're not talking about cultural artifacts, things like that. They're talking about the whole shebang, like actual genocide, as if they would be um, wiped out, like how Jews were being in Germany or something like that. And um, it's it's really baffling because I really don't see that ever taking place. You know, if well, and and particularly not through TV and cinema, unless they're sending out subliminal messages just to white people to become suicidal. In the, in the movies, that's about all I can think of. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like, you know, okay, you're white supremacist. You say you watch the new Star Trek or Force Awakens. You're like, damn, we don't exist. You know, I would imagine that if that was truly the case, then they should begin to have empathy for others. Like, damn, maybe this is what it feels like to be black. Maybe this is what it feels like to be Muslim. Maybe this is what it feels like to be a woman. Maybe this is what it feels like to be Asian or something like that. Like no, because because for my my assumption is that for people like that, life is viewed as a zero sum game. For someone to be up, someone else has to be down, and that 
it better might as well better be me than you that you know they, they can't have everyone on equal footing because somebody's got to win and somebody's got to lose um, it's kind of like I, I, I remember seeing this one thing where someone was talking about how you know when someone is upset about you know certain minority statuses and whatever it may be like say affirmative action or, or stuff like that, it's kind of like the person is upset that the, the handicap spot is the closest it's the closest uh, parking spot to the establishment they can have, but they're not seeing that they can park anywhere. And then, you know, they're totally mobile, like totally mobile. They can park anywhere and get to the establishment at any given spot. They're just mad that that handicapped dude has that handicapped spot. You know, they don't care about the empty one that's right beside the handicapped joint, but they're, they care that like, why do you, like why do you think you're special why do you have that handicap spot that's pretty much their attitude and it's very it's baffling like how do you how do you live through life you go like you're born and then you die and all in between that that's how you think what are your thoughts on that in terms of focusing all your attention on what other people have rather than everything you have or the or the advantage no it's not even advantage there's like equal, a special emphasis the, the the equalization of other yeah it's a, the equalization of other people versus all of the privilege that you have yeah that's that's maybe that's the best way to describe it right because it, it's not it's it's not that handicap handicap person has an advantage they don't they have a disadvantage that's why they have the spot that they have right so it's it, it's I think it's an it's an equalization and somehow that there's an offense taken to equalizing people that are inherently disadvantaged, and that is always a that still perplexes me even from a psychological perspective as to why you can't acknowledge all the benefit you have and that maybe there are people that are a little bit more disadvantaged than you. Um, in my classes, I actually do a demonstration. Or I say in the classroom, I grab a garbage can and I set it up in the front of the room. I say, everyone ball up a piece of paper and they ball it up. And I say, all right, we're going to play a game and the game has set rules. So it's a hundred percent fair. All right. From where you're sitting, anyone that can make the basket with their piece of paper gets uh, a free hundred percent on their next test grade text test grade. And anyone that's not, and if you don't make it, you get a zero on the next test grade. So people in the back of the room start to complain. Well, I'm in the back and the other person is right up front. I can't make it. I was like, yeah, but the rules are set. They're fair. They're the same for everybody. So it's fair. Damn, that's a, that's a good, uh, that's a good um, brain tease. I'll, I'll, I'll have to, I'll have to um, adopt that one. I like that one a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a it's a really good exercise, dude, and it and it illustrates the point that making the rules exactly the same for everyone, regardless of their circumstances, is inherently biased. Oh yeah, by far. Yeah, um, but but anyway, I, before I do want to turn back around to the uh, to the point of uh, of Star Trek, if we can, for a little bit, especially oh, yeah. with this yeah. movie. Um, I think there's difference because there was this thing that happened with Star Wars uh, when that came out, when they showed that there was the black lead uh, or, or a major black character in there. 
Star Trek is a little bit different in that the fundamental premise of Star Trek since its inception in the 1960s was embrace and accept diversity. The fundamental premise of Star Trek has always been embracing diversity. Like I said, the, the first interracial kiss was on Star Trek in the 1960s and it was banned in many Southern states. Some of the comments they were reading on there about having um, the two leads be females and non-white was kind of like they didn't just choose them because they were because they were the best. They chose them to be social justice warriors, as if a being a social justice warrior is a bad thing. I, I would actually applaud that for anyone that wants to be a social justice warrior. I think that's great. Uh, but second thing is, is that like Star Trek has always been and was intended to be from its creator, Gene Roddenberry, a social justice warrior TV show. There is nothing new about that in here, right? There, so that's why I say that the people that are making these comments claim to be Star Trek fans, but there's no way they could actually be. They're just people that are trying to, they're the same people that made the comments against the Star Wars are trying to make these comments and pretend to be fans because they cannot be fans of the show and have any knowledge of how the show, the premise of the show and what it has been throughout history, which has been to push social uh, issues to the forefront. There was an episode of Star Trek Next Generation in the early 1990s that dealt directly with transgender rights in the early 90s. All right, it is not a show that has ever shied away from social justice issues and intentionally attempts to push them forward and is credited for helping society push those boundaries. As a matter of fact, and helping people. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, that one character there, her name is Aurora. 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 Yeah, Ohura. she um like uh May Jimson uh I might mess her name up, but uh like the black female astronaut from the uh, 70s and 80s, she became an astronaut because she saw you know the character Aurora, which is a black woman in space. So, you know. Like someone is inspired by, but like people are genuinely inspired by these things, you know. Yeah, a and lot then of she, then she starred in an episode of Next Generation. Yes, which was really cool. But to even go back with Ohura there before that, right? She was actually got a, another job while she was on that Star Trek show, and she was going to leave that job. And she had met Martin Luther King. I think it was only a couple of days before she was going to quit the show. And she told uh, Dr. King what she was going to do. And he said, you are, you cannot quit this show. This show is too important for you to quit and you have to stay here. And on his advice, wow, she stayed yeah, on the right. show. I that. Yeah. I that. So, I mean, it's been pushing boundaries forever. The, the lead on, on Star Trek Deep Space Nine was was a, a black man who was in charge of the entire station and arguably one of the coolest leaders in all of Star Cisco. Trek. And Cisco was. And then Star Trek Voyager had a woman in charge. So Jane the idea Ray. Yeah, so the idea that there was that there's a, a non-white male in charge is pretty standard for Star Trek. You it would have been more surprising if there was if there wasn't um, someone that was a, a ethnically diverse or a female that was prominently portrayed there that would have been the shocking thing so the people that are making these comments have no understanding what star trek is or what its philosophy is about whatsoever yeah you're kind of uh i think you're kind of like you really want to slap them down it seems like well okay so i i do because <laughs> to, total honesty i i became an astrophysicist because 
I watched Star Trek as a kid. That's why I became an astrophysicist and when why I joined the military because I thought it would be kind of like Star Trek. Shockingly, Air Force Two, which is yeah. the closer yes. to space, so to yes. speak. So, and I did that. I ended up working in, in space in the Air Force, but it was nothing like Star Trek. Um, and it wasn't bringing humanity to that next level. In fact, there was a, there's a lot of paranoia around military space stuff. So, you know, which should be unsurprising, but I mean, that's why I got into it. And it wasn't, I shifted to psychology and I focused on peace psychology. What makes people become good altruistic people because of Star Trek. My entire identity, my entire life career has been driven by Star Trek. And so when, when these asshats claim to be fans and spout off the shit, I do take that as, as a personal offense because you're attacking the thing that I've built my life around. Oh, wow. That's good stuff, man. I hang on. I mean, I, I knew, but I guess I never, I never, there was no space for you to ever truly explain it out. And I'm like, man, that's pretty, that's pretty heartwarming, man. You know, me, she might just like, what? War Machine off of uh, off of uh, Marvel Comics, who they killed Marvel Comics, which is very that's another topic in itself that is deeply frustrating and really pisses me off. So I I in the same manner that Marvel Comics killed Jim Rohde, War Machine in the actual comics in the comic universe, um, how pissed I was at that. I can understand how pissed you are with. Um, folks claiming they're fans of Star Wars, Star Trek, but they really aren't. Yeah, um, Star Trek, Star Trek is so big on diversity that they're actually big on diversity even in their own fictional world. Because at first, the first Star Trek, you can correct me if I'm wrong, the first Star Trek, uh, one of the main villains were the Klingons. And then and when Star Trek Generations came out, you have a Klingon on board the ship. Like, progress were, was made, now, we're, now there's peace with these Klingons. Um, and then beyond that, you have uh, you have um, with, with the Captain Janeway one. You know, you have because um, the main uh, in generations, one of the biggest villains were the Borg, and mm-hmm. Captain Janeway's uh, ship. There's actually a Borg member who's a part of the shit. You know, part of the crew. Yeah. So even within itself, you know, there's this diversity. Like, you know, yeah, they were like, yeah, they're rivals or enemies or hostiles back in the day, but now they're police you know some folks are cool yeah you know, like constant constant um expansion of acceptance you know a lot of the themes of star trek episodes which un- unlike some sci-fi series star trek has always been built around um individual stories from episode to episode which is different topic why discovery is going to be interesting but up till now it's always been about individual stories about showing um, an expansion of our humanity and acceptance of more culture. Cultural non-interference is the fundamental, um, well, it's it's the prime directive of not interfering with other cultures in the land and develop and celebrating cultural diversity. Um, the Vulcan saying it's, it's uh, infinite diversity and infinite combinations is the religious principle in Vulcan, which is just about celebrating diversity. It's built into everything and constantly accepting more and more diversity. When you talk about the Borg, the Borg are are, are, are supposed to be in a, an example of the exact opposite of that. Constant, assimil- constant assimilation, forcing everyone to be the same, forcing people into a single standard of what is acceptable. You know what? These outright, alt-right, conservative 
mother like, confederate nazi motherfuckers they're the borg man they're yep, the borg. they are yes yes they they're are the borg. <laughs> resistance is futile All yes kinds of stuff. they're the borg man mm-hmm. um they 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 grab they 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 damn let's let's get in metaphor land now let's get in metaphor land so what the borg do is that they they grab folks and then they assimilate them and make them part of their own collective this is what racial appropriation looks like, you know, where um, when you have people who don't care about the culture, don't care about you, they'll take they'll take your stuff and uh, they're like pretty dominant and powerful. They'll take your stuff and make your stuff theirs without giving a damn about your people, where your where stuff come from, like how how white folks will take something like, say, corn rolls something which is an it's a natural hairstyle for black folks and um, it protects you know folks hair for long periods of time stuff like that black people are demonized by that like oh you look like a thug you look unprofessional and all this other stuff but when white folks do it now they're boxer braids wow boxer braids woohoo! while still shitting on black people who also have these cornrows in you know things like that or twerking oh she's ghetto she's hood she's nasty she's disgusting shaking her butt like that then miley cyrus does it it's okay you know what i mean like all this yeah all this appropriation that's what the board do the board will take your stuff literally take your strength and make their strength make your strength theirs you know one, one of their one of their quintessential sayings is your distinctiveness will be added to our own that's that's what they say yeah. So yeah, it's exactly it's exactly what the Borg are, and that's what they were meant to represent. Because as far in Star Trek universe, conservatism as a principle, or extreme conservatism as a funda- well, fundamentalism, the way it is, the, this white supremacy type stuff, you are the enemy in Star Trek. Everything that Star Trek is built on, you are the enemy. Which is again why I say that a white supremacist cannot be a fan of Star Trek, because every episode is about how terrible you are. You're white supremacist. <laughs> why would you watch that? <laughs> <laughs> I say they need to watch it. Um, Star Wars, Star Wars also, you know, in a way, demonizes white supremacy. Usually, there's a rebellion, and um, and the rebellion has all types of aliens in it. But when you see the uh, when you see the enemy, the right, you know, who are in charge, the Empire, the Imperial folks, you see a bunch of white men, you know, a bunch of tons of whiteness with a lot of uh, Nazi symbolism a lot of nazi paraphernalia uniform types and symbolism stuff like that so how how star trek uses the board i don't know if it's i don't know if it's you know on purpose or not but it looks like the borg is white supremacy and american conservatism as it seems as as it is fascism as it is right now um Star Wars, they use direct Nazi imagery to uh, make that correlation. And Star Wars, is, you, you just flat out can't miss it. If you're a white supremacist, you're, you're, you're clearly the bad guy. While Star Trek, you might have to think about it for a quick second. You might have to actually... Well, um, yeah. well and I, I think that's, in general, that's why Star Trek tends to have, I think, a lower popularity in mainstream is because it is a much more philosophical... Um, 
exploration of the human condition because things are not in your face the way that they are in Star Wars. And it's much less action oriented. It's much more philosophical, which is why I don't think it enjoys as much popularity. Oh yeah. So what you're saying is that that uh, Star Wars is like Michael Jackson, while Star Trek is like Prince. Indeed, that is a fantastic analogy. <laughs> yes. If, like so, Star Wars is, is Tupac and, and Star Trek is Biggie Smalls. Yeah. So to to get on your one point though, um, or, or I did want to bring up the article that that you had written before on on the fantasy characters. Right, and about how fantasy can be, the fantasy genre can be racist in itself in, in the way that it categorizes entire races of fictional creatures as having distinctive traits, right? Yeah. And that, that, you can actually, you can extend that to a number of sci-fi genres as well. They have alien races that have distinctive traits and, and features. Um, but I told you when we were talking, when we were writing back and forth, that I don't think that extends in the case of Star Trek is because, like I said, Star Trek is written as an... Generally, it's been an episode-to-episode thing at, at telling individual stories. And they build this universe to tell those stories in, but each race is meant to reflect a particular aspect of our own humanity. It's not meant to just be some cool race that's got some trait like it is with dwarves or elves, which are just a cool race. They're specifically meant to have these um, cultural tendencies because they tend not to, in Star Trek, they tend not to, to define them as being just the way that they are, but having some development, whether it be technological or cultural, that led them to this point. And whatever that thing is that tends to define them is meant to be more of a reflection of our own humanity than it is a, a definition of that trait. Yeah, yeah. That's why I like. I always liked Star Trek. You know, I got into it during uh, the Next Generation. You know, being a teenager in the '90s. So yeah, I find it. You know, I should not find any surprise that white supremacists are totally butthurt again on another space saga. Again, it is, I suppose it's going to keep on happening. You know, we'll, I mean, we're, we're, the, we're white folks when Bad Boys came out and Bad Boys 2 with Martin Lawrence and, and, uh, and, and uh, Will Smith or any of these other movies that had, that had you know, mostly black folks in it. You know, we're, we're like, where were these white supremacists when Welcome Home Roscoe Jenkins came out? Or I don't know, it's just... Space Saga, they get really, they get real butthurt. Well, they have, you know, you, you can, if you're a white supremacist, you can always check out Guardians of the Ga- Galaxy. You know, the lead, the lead character of that is white. You know, you, you can look at any, anything throughout history and maintain that. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. I, I, why they focus on, on science fiction as, as their basis of anger. I, that's a good question. I wonder why that is. I'm not really sure. Now, the Guardians of the Galaxy thing, the, the lead character is white. Uh, this, this is a whole in, another interesting topic. The lead character is white, but he's white because in the comic books or, or in any of, the, any of the previous stories, he was white also. So, quote unquote, fans will, will, uh, will <laughs> argue for that 
because he's always been white. But they ignore the fact that if if a comic book writer in the 1950s or 60s, whenever those comics were originally being written, had tried to draw a lead character that wasn't white, it would have never passed through. He's only white because he had to be white because of racism at the time. And so when they say, like, you have to keep him white because he's always been white, you're, you're not being a fan of the series in a nerdy way. You're being racist because you're I, not acknowledging the his, history of those comics. Right. Because I'm a Marvel Comics guy, I will, I will add something to that right there. Um, Star-Lord and Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy characters, they are not, they are not in Marvel Comics they are not the, the apex predator characters that you don't you don't change anything about. They are beyond deal. They are F list characters in Marvel Comics. You could have made you could have starred Michael B. Jordan or Will Smith as uh, you could have starred Don Cheeto as Star Lord, and no one would have cared because like those are characters that are completely obscure and unknown. Like a lot of the space characters, the Celestials and things like that, and, and uh, mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy. No one knows or cares. Now, when it comes to X-Men, um, Avengers, Spider-Man, yeah, you can't fuck with those. You can't mess. You can't. It's hard. It's hard. It's more difficult to do that, to give someone a race lift there. You can't, you know, make Wolverine black. That would be a very radical, <laughs> so be a very radical thing to pull off. It, but Yeah, but it would, it would be really cool to see. You yeah, know, it, if, it would if be they cool did try... Because it's artistic, you know, with the whole with this whole Star Trek debate, too, I've had to really kind of think, and now this is outside the bounds of race, but a lot of people are kind of upset because, um, at least from the trailer, there seems to be issues with continuity in terms of maintaining this happened before this and this happens here in the in the Star Trek timeline. And I've had to really kind of think about is that really what's important when you talk about Star Trek? We just said like it's gen- in history. It's generally been written from episode to episode as a way to tell individual stories about social, about social justice issues. And as a result of those individual stories, there's there's this universe that's developed with a history and all of that. But that's really not the most important thing. And to th- the, the audience of 2017 is not the audience of of 1960. So there's going to have to be some changes and there's artistic liberty that should come into there. So how closely when you're talking about something that's trying to push social boundaries, not just Star Trek, but any fictional medium that has a continuity or a history, how closely should you hold on to the, that continuity trope or should you just allow the expression to go on so we can have more progress? Mm -hmm. I think, uh, yeah, I think uh, it'll be a case by case basis thing. I know that, like, say, when it comes to race lifts and stuff like that, um, Nick Fury, the, the, like, Nick Fury was originally white. Comics made the Ultimate Universe, they made him a Samuel L. Jackson's image. They're like, they, call, they hit Samuel L. Jackson up, say, hey, we're going to, uh, it was like 1999, 2000, like that time period. Like, hey, we want to use your image for Nick Fury. Are you cool with that, Samuel L. Jackson? He said, yeah, as long as when you start making movies, I'm, I'm, I'm that guy. And years later, now, now Samuel Jackson, Nick Fury, and all these Marvel movies and stuff. Um, yeah, some characters like, say, you know, Nick Fury, who was far more well-known in Star-Lord, you can, like, you know, D-list characters, you can give them race lifts. But, you know, Captain America, um, 
or Spider-Man, they'll be probably radically different characters. There actually were there. There actually have been a black Captain America to to a matter of fact, you have um, I think the guy's name Isaiah Bradley, which in his, his storyline was based on the Tuskegee experiment type of type of deal, which makes more sense. Um, Captain America should be black because you're not going to stick. They're not going to stick needles and you know experimental needles and white dudes back then they, that's literally they did not do that um and then you have um falcon the guy that plays falcon is currently captain america as well in marvel comics so you have two two black captain americas you have um a black spider-man his name is miles morales so there's a double whammy right there you have a latino and like a black latino spider-man so it can be done but uh, it just depends. Now, when it comes to um, and then like with DC Comics, you have um, the, the Lantern Corps, Green Lantern. That's a moniker that someone gets. So, you know, Green Lantern changes out every generation. So there's Black Green Lantern named uh, John Stewart. Actually, his name that name similar to the comedian, the political comedian guy. He um, he's like a Marine, so he's like a military superhero type. It's pretty cool. Now I think there's a Latin woman Green Lantern too, so it's like it can be done. Star Trek is similar to that, you know. A captain of a ship is not going to be the same person that was Latin, like you've seen eons ago because there's different timelines and different ships. I mean, of course. So who's the who's the captain? Is Michelle Yeoh's character? I saw yeah, she's, she's the captain of the Shenzhou, which is the which is actually named after the current series of uh, Chinese um, rocket vehicles that they're launching now. They have like Shenzhou One, Shenzhou Two. The Chinese are launching, and so they wow. named they named the ship in Star Trek after that, and they gave uh, Michelle Yeoh that 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 position yeah, too. I did not know. I see. A, they, they must be white supremacists. Must be incredibly pissed. No, so they're 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 removing a lot of uh, English nor, norm, English normativity, so to speak, from Star Trek. So it's not just everything's an enterprise or something English. You have Chinese names on the ship. Ooh, yeah, man, yeah, gotta, I, I, I thought that name. was really cool. Um, and there's going to be two ships, right? Because she's in charge of the one. She's captain of the one ship. The other ship is the Discovery, and the. The other character, uh, I've never watched The Walking Dead. What's her name? Um, the the female black character on there? I don't know. I, don't, I never watched Walking Dead either. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't. I haven't learned their their actual real names yet. I just know their character names. <laughs> um, but her name on there is actually Michael. And huh. so there was there was some speculation at first that maybe she was going to be a transgender character because her name was Michael, right? Which would not be beyond Star Trek to do that. And maybe that's still the case, but it might also just be a, a, a non-American, like you said, a non-American normativity with names, because in places like Ireland and Scotland, Michael is a, is a fairly common female name from what I understand. So it could just be kind of removing the centerpiece of America from the Star Trek universe. Oh, wow. Michelle Yeoh's character's name, Captain Giorgio. And uh, Shanika Martin Green, Cap uh, Michael Burnham. Oh, hmm. She's a good looking girl. I didn't even see her, but see her now, though. Oh, 
yeah. I thought that was someone else, but yeah. Oh, she's pretty. This is going to be good. I like their costumes and damn, that's it's going to be amazing. It's good to see Michelle yelling um get 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 work as well because you know she's so used to seeing her doing kung fu. I'm like, man, what happened to her? You know, did a James Bond movie, um, Crouch the Tiger, Hidden Dragon. No, she wasn't. I don't think she was in that, was she? Uh, no, I, she was. Was oh. she? Maybe she was. I'm not maybe. sure. But it's definitely good to see her again, though. Yeah, there's there's been a lot with um, there's been a lot of issues with the, or or there's been a growing prominent um, focus on Asian actors getting actual leads and roles. Um, you know, and I think Constance Wu, who I'm a big fan of, share the same birth date and everything, has been kind of championing some of that lately, or at least I've seen on some videos. Constance Wu. Mm-hmm. See, fresh off the boat. What is? Hmm, oh, nice you never lady. Yeah, yeah. She's a. It's a fan. It's a comedy. It's half hour comedy. It is hilarious. You should. You should definitely watch it. Okay. I think Beyonce. No, I think she is a day before me though. Beyonce. Share my same birthday. No, just the same year. <laughs> just the same year. But yeah, um, I actually share a birthday with a freaking porn star, which is pretty damn <laughs> funny. It makes me think like, wow, this guy's doing all that. What, what I'm doing with my life must be a whole lot of fun. Shoot, uh, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's funny though. Yeah, that's... Yeah, Michelle Yeoh, though. Good job. I hope that she continues to do great things. It's supposed to be a movie or uh, a, a, a t- or the, just a show? Just a show? That's what I'm seeing yeah. here. Just a show. Okay, I thought it was going to be a movie, then show. Okay. Yeah, I can't wait to see that. Check that out, though. And I really do like the TV shows because there's more space for character development through the TV show than just a movie. Yeah, it's it's often said that Star Trek was always meant to be on the small screen because it never does quite as well on the big screen. And I think it's because, like I said, it's trying to tell very specific philosophical and social stories. And it's it's actually it's harder to do that on the big screen when you're limited to, you know, an hour and a half or two hours. Yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, you know, since you're a Star Trek fan, what do you think about the new Star Trek movies coming out with Chris Pine and all that? Oh, I think they're fine. I think they they. I enjoy them as space action movies with a Star Trek flavor. Um, they don't they don't have as much emphasis on the the utopian, well, not utopian, but the peaceful society of Star Trek and kind of focusing on those things. But the movies really haven't. The movies generally didn't. Um, they take place in a different timeline. Some people are really upset. They don't like all the changes. But again, that goes back again to people that are overly obsessed with continuity. The movies are good. I like them. They're, they're nice, yeah. fun. They're, they're space action movies with a Star Trek flavor. And I can appreciate that. But I don't yeah. expect a great deal out of them. One thing that, like, far as, like, from a philosophical standpoint with the new Star Trek movies is that it seems like the philosophical thing they're touching up on is is 
exploration versus militarization. You know, you always uh-huh. have you, you always have you have a person like say the the Star regular Star Trek folks are like they're trying not to militarize, and the, there's usually a, like a villain which is actually within their council with that's wearing one of their uniforms and suits, like the higher command folks. They want to militarize and seek bigger weapons and weaponize the ships and stuff like that. And I think that's a really good that's that's another interesting um, debate. Well. Yeah, that that was definitely the theme of the second movie, the second JJ movie. That was the theme of it. But that also stands to reason, and just from a logical perspective, if if in the prime timeline you had, you didn't have Vulcan destroyed, and, and at that point the Federation could develop in this peaceful air, and in this in the, in the Kelvin timeline the entire planet of Vulcan was destroyed. Well, that's going to cause a lot of people to become overly paranoid and, and a little bit more militaristic. And so combating that makes sense that that would be an issue that would get raised up. The third movie, the Star Trek Beyond, which I really like, uh, got back a little bit more to the roots and focused um, more on the exploration. And they talked a lot more about uh, the Federation and Starfleet as a organization for diversity and peace. That was the entire point of this giant space station they had in there. Um, at, right at the beginning, they showed right at the beginning of the of the movie that was all about diversity um, and bringing different species together. So they got back more to the core of Star Trek in the third movie. I got to check that out. I, I still haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. That one's good. But the militarization, militarization theme comes up, does come up in some Star Trek episodes. The most, the one that stands out in my mind is a two-part episode from Star Trek DS9 where uh, there's, there's actually... A, an attempted coup on Earth to take over the Federation and turn it into uh, an authoritarian rule. Hmm. Um, and because they're afraid of these changeling creatures that are infiltrating the government, and so they want to create a heavy-handed government to protect the people. Um, and that was just a, was a really, really good episode for that. No, well, Trump was president on that episode, huh? Just joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But all right, though, um, it's more to bring us to a close. So you have any last uh, thoughts on um, Star Trek and that good old fear, their white supremacist fear of diversity? Everyone should watch Star Trek from the original series up through the present and just watch it and absorb it. And then you won't be a racist asshole anymore. <laughs> Try it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me, uh, of course... You know, I'm always gonna be around to uh, observe and comment on, um, you know, how white supremacists are acting and stuff like that. I'm glad. I'm definitely glad to once again have uh, Steve. You know, you part of the show here because you, you're you're definitely a force multiplier. And uh, your mind on top, like your mind and studies, your studious mind on top of your knowledge as a Star Trek fan was definitely deeply appreciated. So, Thank you. Yeah, so I'll say it's about that time. Thanks for joining us. Before you leave, if you like what you heard, click like and subscribe to us on iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you go for your podcast. Do not let this be the last time we hear from you or you hear from us. Follow us on Facebook at ProSapioFile. If you want to be heard, you can always leave a voice message at 202-854-1996. Last but not least, be sure to check us out at ProSapioFile.com for everything pertaining to intelligent thought.
This is Johnny Silvercloud, the Soul Brother number one of a kind, signing out. Peace.